Lord, we're here today to learn, to grow, and go deeper in you. And thank you for being the God of hope in all ways and all things. Let us keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on that. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law this morning. You teach, we listen. Let your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct. Let your word be alive and active. And let us not just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word for you and your glory in your name. Amen. We'll be in Psalm 52 this morning. We'll be doing Psalm 52 and Psalm 54 this morning. It's not that we're skipping over Psalm 53, but we actually covered Psalm 53 earlier in one of our other studies through the book of Psalms. I do the Psalms that kind of connect to each other, and there's a great connection with Psalm 53 earlier on. So we're doing 52 and 54. You know, if time would permit and allow, it would be great to do 52, 53, 54, 55 all together. Because all these Psalms carry the same idea, and that idea is dealing with difficult people. That's the mindset that's going on, is we will always be around difficult people. They will. Some of the messages we do out here are extremely, you know, theological. We're just going to study out the nature of who God is or or the character of Christ. There's others that are very evangelical. Uh, Maybe some messages are very encouraging. This is one of those messages that's extremely practical. We're not going to get into a lot of deep theological truth. How do we go deal with these people and the difficultness that they're going to be around? Because they will always be around us. Always be around us. I love this quote from Tozer. And it's a little bit of a longer one, but it deals with this idea and it really sets the tone for what we're going to deal with here this morning. It says, Was it not Voltaire who said that some people were like insects? They would never be noticed except that they sting. A traveler must make up his mind to go on regardless of the insects that make his trip miserable. They cannot stop a determined man. They can only make his journey unpleasant. So it is with the people who delight to swarm around the ears of God's servants as they move onward toward their appointed goal. We may all expect to be stung by our many fellow humans who appear to have dedicated themselves to the task of causing minor heartaches wherever they can, as long as they can, to as many people as possible. These misguided people cannot be escaped They can only be endured. That's the truth. There are people that are insects that sting. They sting and it hurts. And I like what he says. These misguided people cannot be escaped. They can only be endured. It will happen. You will work with them. You will live with them. You will go to church with them. You may have married one. You have kids. They are just the insects that sting. And it's not a sting to the point of death. It's a sting of pain. You know, I think back to our, our twins that we have, and, and as far as we know, neither one of them have ever been stung yet by a beam. We're just waiting for that first time just to make sure they handle everything okay. But somebody like me has been stung multiple times. I don't like it. I don't want it to happen. But I know what's coming. I know the pain. It's like, okay, I can handle the sting. Please understand, you have people in your life, once again, coworkers, friends, family members, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they will sting you. How are you going to handle it? These misguided people cannot be escaped. They can only be endured. And maybe this week you have been stung. How are we going to handle this biblically here? Psalm 52 and Psalm 54 show us that. Psalm 52, verse 1. To the chief musician, a contemplation of David when Doag the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Now, I love Psalms that give the background. I love it. I think there's so much depth that you can kind of see a little bit more of what's going on with it. So with that mindset, who is Doeg? Who is Ahimelech? And what are these things that's happening? Keep your hand here in Psalm 52. Go with me to 1 Samuel 21. 
Let's get the background of this story of why David is writing this psalm. First Samuel 21. Now a little bit of background here in First Samuel 21. David has been anointed king over Israel, but Saul is still the king. David knows he's the next king after Saul dies. Saul is trying to kill David. Now, so David is on the run from Saul. David's best friend, Jonathan, is Saul's son. David has married Saul's daughter. There's a lot of soap opera drama going on with this. But Saul is trying to kill David. So David is on the run, and so David has run off by himself now. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? Now that may seem like a weird passage, but think about this. David is basically Saul's guy. He is the military leader, the military hero. He is the king's son-in-law, best friends with the king's son. David carried this idea of prestige and honor and power. Here he is by himself. That just doesn't seem right, too. So David said to Elimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business in which I sent you or what I have commanded you and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. David lies. We have a tendency to lie when we get ourselves back into a corner trying to cover our place. So David needs supplies, verse 3. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. They have this little discussion. The only bread that we have is the holy bread. And David says, well, we can still eat it. And he says in verse 5, it's basically common. You've got to remember, if you, if you think about the temple, you had the outer court. Then you go into the temple itself. There was an inner room there. Uh, there was the farthest room that was the Holy of Holies, but there was a room in there that had the table of showbread, altar of incense, and the menorah. And that showbread had the loaves, and those loaves represent God's relationship with the Jews and the Gentiles, and they're replaced every week, and only priests were supposed to eat it. And David says, well, can I at least have some of that? So he gives them some bread, because there's no bread, verse 6, except the showbread. And so then there's this guy, though, verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. They go on, verses 8 and 9, do you have any weapons? The only sword we have is the Goliath. So Elimelech gives him some bread and gives him Goliath's sword. But the key is verse 7, Doag, the Edomite. Now, what do we know about this guy? First off, he's detained before the Lord. That can mean a couple different things. Maybe he had a vow that he had committed to the Lord and he was fulfilling that vow. Maybe it was near the Sabbath and he wasn't able to travel because of the Sabbath day journey. But he is an Edomite, an Edomite, descendant of Esau. And if you remember your Bible history, you have Jacob and Esau, the twins. Jacob goes on and gets the blessing and has the 12 tribes of Israel. And his brother Esau forsook his blessing, despised it, did not get it. And his descendants are the Edomites. And the Edomites were a thorn in the side to Israel for a long time. He's also a chief herdsman which belonged to Saul. So he had a high position up in Saul's kingdom. So that sets the tone, which then takes us now to 1 Samuel 22. Saul, verse 6, heard that David and his men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with a spear in his hand and all the servants standing about him. Spear in his hand. He's ready for business. He's got his weapon. He says to his servants in verse 7, Here now you Benjamites, the son of Jesse. Well, the son of Jesse, give every one of you fields and vineyards and all your captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. Can David bless you guys like I can bless you guys? Verse 8, all of you have conspired against me. My own son's against me. Everybody's against me. Saul had gone off the deep end at this point. He knew his kingdom was falling apart. He knew that David was the next one and he just wanted David dead. Just blind, 
vengeance. But guess who pops up? Verse 9. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Hathapah. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Doeg, at just the right time, lets his information out. Was Doeg waiting, holding on to this? Because he heard back in verse 7, fields and vineyards and captains. Sounds like a pretty good time to let my information out. So what happens now? Verse 11. King sent to call Hemelech, the priest, the son of Atabah, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Atabah. And he answered, Here, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait at this day? Amalek answered, verse 14, What are you talking about? David, your son-in-law. David is your servant. Verse 15, Far be it from me to go against you, king. Saul's not hearing this. 16, the king said, You shall surely die, Himelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because their hand is also with David, because they knew when he had fled and did not tell him. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. The servants wouldn't do it. They're not going to touch these guys. 18, the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore linen ephod. 85 men. Now, I highly encourage you to not base your theology off a Hollywood version of the Bible in any way whatsoever. I don't know if I've ever seen a good Hollywood movie of the Bible. I do remember one scene, though, of this particular passage that happened, and I thought it was fairly well done. And they showed Doeg, and the, the priests are all lined up, 85 of them. And they're lined up, and at that time they were in their priestly garb, and they were doing some of their prayers because they knew what was coming. And Doeg went up to each one, put his left hand on their shoulder, right hand of the sword, and just right into their thrust the sword right into them. And they would just crumple and just die. Think about what those priests went through. These aren't military men. They're not going to fight for their lives like that. 85 of them, watching all their brothers and their priesthood just die. And this Edomite just goes and kills everyone. Think of the anger of Saul, the vengeance of Saul. And not only that, 19, also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword. Both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. He went and took out their families as well. One man escapes, comes and tells David, 20. 21, and Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there. They would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. David said, this is my fault. Doag was the murderer, but yet this is also my fault. With that background, we now see the heart of David in Psalm 52, please. Verse 1. Why do you boast in evil, mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness, Selah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall see in fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trust in the abundance of his riches and strengthen himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. 
Do you have a Doeg in your life right now? He's just causing problems. He's destructive with his tongue. Destructive in life. Maybe you work with one. Maybe you live with one. Maybe you're going to church with one. Your neighbor's one. They're all over. They will be always in your life. As Tozer said, they're an insect that stings. These misguided people cannot be escaped. They can only be endured. I think back that there's always been doags in my life. Always. I remember my first, what I call, quote-unquote, real job to an extent. I grew up on a farm. So I grew up working on the farm. And then I had a couple jobs, maybe that lasted a couple months here, or a little bit here. But then I went and worked in retail for three and a half years. Saw a lot in retail. I was right out of high school, so fresh to that. And they always ingrain into you that concept that the customer is always right, which is the biggest lie in retail. The customer is rarely right. We just want the customer's money. But I worked in the uh, shoe department. And so it was my responsibility when people would come in with returns to take a look at them and find out why they were returning, if it was allowed or not. And it always fascinated me. After homecoming and prom, how many girls came in to return shoes because they just didn't fit right? Sure fit real good at prom and homecoming, I think, but just didn't fit nice after that. But there was this one woman that came in one time, and she had a pair of boots that she bought for her child, and they weren't ours. They weren't ours. I could tell they weren't ours, and that just happens. Sometimes you think you bought it. She, she didn't have a receipt. They weren't ours, and I tried to tell her nicely they weren't ours. She just kept getting more and more upset, more and more upset. And I distinctly remember to this day, 25 years later, she told me that she was going to go home and dig out the ketchup-stained receipt out of the trash and smear it in my face. She was a dough egg. I wish that was the last dough egg I ever ran into. No. Every job I ever had, there's a dough egg. I get calls, I get emails, I get texts from dough eggs. I remember distinctly about 20 feet from where I'm standing right now, one person chewed me out in this sanctuary like I've never seen before. It was a dough egg. Just attack. Attack with words all the time. This is just what they do. It's this constant idea of attacking. What does David call them, verse 1? Why do you boast an evil, almighty man? Great warrior, mighty hero. Sarcasm. You're killing innocent men, women, and children. But you're this great hero, Doag. You took out 85 unarmed priests and women and children and infants. Does evil win? No, because look at the second part of verse 1. The goodness of God endures continually forever how would we describe Doeg verse 2 his tongue what about his tongue look at the description verses 2 through 4 destruction deceitful loves evil lying devouring words tongues are dangerous for further study I encourage you to go home and read James chapter 3 the power of the tongue the destruction that comes out of the tongue James 3 says that some people when they speak are just spewing forth hellfire you ever talk to that doag that when they just talk, the words coming out of their mouth are just fire of hell. And they just absolutely destroy with all their words. I think of Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. How powerful our words can be. We have a phrase in the urban house we like to use, let's encourage before we discourage. It's really easy to tear down. Completely easy. And we can use our words so often to tear down and it leads to death. Doeg's tongue by telling Saul, led to the death of all those priests and women and children. David's tongue, by lying, also led to death. 
And David knew that, 1 Samuel twenty two twenty two. Let me read it to you again. David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Lying leads to death. Doeg led to death. That destructive tongue leads to death. What happens to that personality? Verse 5, God likewise shall destroy you forever. Not only destroy, look at the wording in verses 5. Take you out, pluck you out, uproot you. God will take care of the Doags. He will. We're able to step back and see both sides. Verse 6, the righteous also shall see and fear. I see both sides. I see what God's going to do to Doeg, but at this moment... It still hurts. It's a sting. It's not a sting that's going to kill me. But I don't want to get stung. I'm tired of getting stung by words. Lord, can't you just take out all the dough eggs? God says, I will. I will. But verse 7, James, will you make me your strength? Will you trust me? Will you strengthen yourself in me? See, every time I run into a dough egg, it reminds me of who I trust and who strengthens me. It's the Lord. Because... Doeg did not make, verse 7, God his strength. Doeg trusted in the abundance of Israel. Doeg strengthened himself in wickedness. You're going to run into these people. You're going to learn. You're going to get stung. And you've got to learn to step back and say, but I trust the Lord in the midst of this. So what is our response to the Doegs of this world? Now, I have to tell you, the full counsel of God's word, all 66 books of the Bible... There are definitely passages out there that tell us that sometimes we need to go confront this and take care of this, and that is a biblical concept. But in the teaching of today, in Psalm 52 and Psalm 54, you see a different response, and that's the route we're going to go with today. So don't think I'm ignoring that other part. There has to be godly wisdom on this. But there's a lot of times where God says, just let it go. Now just think that through for a second. There's a lot of times where God says, just let it go. But I don't want to let it go. I love the revenge scene in a movie. Where the good guy finally takes out the bad guy. I love in the football game where that linebacker got a late hit on the quarterback. And so as the quarterback's getting up, that 300-pound offensive lineman comes over and knocks down the linebacker to protect his quarterback. We love the bravado of sports. We love the bravado of men standing up. We love that. So what is David going to do to Doag? David's response, verse 8, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. What are you talking about, David? This is David. David, this is the man killer. A giant killer. Do you remember the song they sang about David? Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. In 1 Samuel 25, there's this man by the name of Nabal that's causing problems for David. So David's response, every man gird on your sword and Nabal will be dead by morning. That's David. What is this whole I'm a green olive tree junk? Can you imagine that, men? Some guy is doing something, making moves on your wife, mention something inappropriate with your kids, whatever. You're going to go stand up to that guy. You're going to look him straight in the eye and say, I'm a green olive tree. That is not intimidating in any way whatsoever. So why is David, this mighty man of valor and war and blood, so much blood he could not build the temple? God says, there's too much blood on your hands, David. Why is he a green olive tree in the house of God? Well, let's talk about what it means to be a green olive tree. First off, I'm fascinated by olive trees. I hate olives. Don't really need olive oil. I just think they're cool. Because of the biblical references into them. 
I started looking up the hardiness zones. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I looked up the hardiness zones to see if I could grow an olive tree, and I can't. Because they're so cool. All the biblical references. What are the biblical references to olive trees? Let me throw some of them out there. First off, do you know back in Genesis 8, when the dove brought back the plant, brought back an olive branch? So there we start seeing the idea of restoration and renewal and a new relationship and starting over again. The temple had olive wood in it. Olive oil was used predominantly in the temple to light the menorah. Exodus 27, you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil, pressed olives for the light. So olive oil was used to do that. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, which means oil press that was full of olive trees. It says in Psalm 128, speaking about our kids and speaking about family, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. The symbolism of olives, the idea of restoration after the flood, the idea of the glory of God in the temple, the idea of the light of the Lord and the olive oil, the idea of a blessed family being olive plants, the idea of Jesus in the garden praying before the cross, olives. It's all over. So David knew the symbolism of I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. It shows his closeness, his relationship with the Lord, and the fruitfulness of it. Oh, for us to be olive trees. The problem is it's not easy to be an olive tree. I've read this about olive trees, and I just want to share this with you. It says, once an olive tree is thriving, it may begin to produce fruit. However, olives aren't typically produced until the tree is about five or six years old. It takes years. As time goes on, more olives will grow on a tree that is properly cared for and receiving all the required nutrients and external conditions. The maximum olive production for such a tree tends to occur around its 40th or 50th birthday. It takes time. See, look at the building here. It takes time to become the fruitful olive tree. Yes, you're born again and saved in an instant. It takes decades to mature into a mature believer in Jesus Christ. We have to understand the olive tree also gives the symbolism of, I'm not in this as a sprint. I'm in this for decades, Lord. And after four or five, six years, I may look back and say, wow, Lord, there's some fruit. All of a sudden, 10, 20 years, wow, Lord. 40, 50 years, we look back and say, wow, I thought I had it figured out at 20. I thought I had it figured out at 30. I thought I had it figured out at 40. But now, Lord, I see the depth of what it means to be following you. Are we willing to be that olive tree of maximum olive production 40, 50 years down the road? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I will run the race that is set before me. Will I be that olive tree? There's a depth to what David is saying when he says, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. That's the first point. The second point, this idea of people. David doesn't attack Doeg. And there's going to be people and we're not going to attack back. And it's not just Doeg. There's other people too. If you remember correctly, there's this guy by the name of Alexander that caused problems for Paul. And I, and I won't have you turn to the verses. I'm just going to share them with you real quick. And there's this man by the name of Alexander. And Paul says, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. But if you go to the verse before... It says that his faith was shipwrecked. Alexander's faith was shipwrecked. And then Paul then gave him over to Satan. What's it mean to have a shipwrecked faith? It means you've got your boat in the wrong area. Have you ever seen a Christian get their faith shipwrecked? 
Like all of a sudden, it's like, why are you steering your boat into that area of life, brother or sister in the Lord? That's just dangerous water over there. You're going to get shipwrecked. And this is what I've noticed with Alexanders and Doegs. When their shipwrecks, their shipwreck takes down other ships. And that's why Paul says, I have to give them over to Satan. He then goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must also beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. I have seen that so often out here. Somebody's faith gets shipwrecked. And then all of a sudden, they shipwreck other people with it. And I feel like as a pastor, I'm saying, stay away from the shipwreck. It took them down, and it'll take you down. What does a shipwreck look like? For each person, it's different. Just be careful of those things that are getting you off Christ. Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Finish that race. There are so many things in this world that want to shipwreck you off Christ and just take you a little off. There's an election coming up in two weeks. Did you know that? No matter who gets elected, God is still good and sovereign. Do not let your faith get shipwrecked by an election. Do not let your faith get shipwrecked by the things of this world. Do not let your faith get shipwrecked by anything going on at this moment or at this time because your boat will get wrecked and you will cause others to get wrecked along with you. Alexander caused Paul much harm. You will have doags in your life. You will have Alexanders in your life. You will have people attack you with words. They will sting. You will have people cause you harm. You will have people's faith that you watch shipwreck and all of a sudden they want to pull you into that same shipwreck. Get away from it. Keep your eyes on Christ. What did Alexander do to Paul that was so harmful? I mean, look at Paul's wording. That's pretty straightforward there. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Here's the beauty of it. We have no idea. Because it doesn't matter. How often do we do that in human nature? A doeg says something about you. And Alexander does something. What do you want to do? You want to tell everybody. Oh, can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they did? And then you want to recreate the shipwreck with other people. Oh, we got to learn to let it go. we got to learn the details don't matter. We've got to learn to step back and say, the Lord will repay. The Lord will repay. Think about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Look at the last verse of Psalm 52, 9. I will wait on your name, for it is good. David says, Lord, I'll wait. I'm not strapping on the sword to take out Doeg. I will wait. Paul says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Life isn't fair. It's not fair that Doeg say stuff. It's not fair that Alexander say stuff. But I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner. No one gets away with anything. Life isn't fair, but eternity is fair. And I have to learn as a believer, I just have to step back sometimes and realize that I will be stung by Doegs and Alexanders and things will be said and done. I just got to keep my eyes on Jesus. Any energy I put in to trying to defend, to debate, to attack. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Let's build on this a little bit. Can you go with me to 1 Peter 3? How will you handle those doags, those Alexanders at work this week? In your house? Your neighbors, your community, your school? Your church? How will we handle them? Look at 1 Peter, chapter 3. Start with me in verse 8, please. 
finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I'm blessed when attacked. You're blessed when attacked for the things of the Lord. Do not go down to that level of reviling for reviling or evil for evil. It is not worth it. 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I don't have to strap the sword on and take out Alexander and Doeg. I don't. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will wait on the Lord, David. Verse 12. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become fathers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. If I go down to the level of Doag and Alexander, and I fight words with words, guess what? I just lost two times. I lost because I went down in the flesh, and I lost the blessing that would have come out of being rising above it. My flesh is tired of rising above things, though. I go back to my analogy earlier. I like a little scuffle after the sports play. I like the revenge scene. I like the bravado. But that's not the way to handle it. I want David to strap on the sword and take Doeg out. I don't want him to say, I'm a green olive tree. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That, that verse is used a lot about defense of apologetics in the faith. And you should understand what you believe. But the context of verse 15 is not defending the faith. It's defending why you're not responding to that person. The context of 15 is somebody comes up and says, Do you know what Doeg's saying? Do you know what Alexander posted online about you? It doesn't matter. Oh, but you need to read it. No, I don't. You need to go say something. No, I don't. Well, why aren't you saying anything? Because it doesn't matter. How can you just let it go? Because it's in the Lord's hands. Give a defense of why you're not reviling. A defense of why you're not returning evil for evil. 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, and you will be defamed at work, at home, at school, in the community, at church. It will happen. Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Ashamed. I've known people sometimes for 20, 30, 40 years, and I've had somebody come up and say, oh, I said something about them. It's like, no. Well, how do you know it's not true? Because I've known this person for decades. I know their good conduct, and that's not them. That's not them in any way whatsoever. 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Did you catch 17, the will of God? God in his ordained sovereignty allowed Doeg to kill 85 priests and women and children. God allows the stings of Doeg's and Alexander's to come into my life. He allows it. Because it teaches me that I have one person I can trust and rely on and that's Jesus Christ. That's the thing. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I have Christ and Christ alone. It is not anything against my wife. I love Dawn and I love her more and more. But Dawn did not die on the cross for my sins and she is not opening the gates of heaven for me. I love my kids, but my kids are eventually going to grow up, move out, and have their own families. I love you guys, but people come and people go. I love this place. I have no idea what the future holds. I got Christ. 
Christ is my only foundation. And so therefore, God allows Doegs and Alexanders to come into my life to sting me, to remind me that I have a little area that needs to be sanded off. I need to be refined in this area. I need to learn to be more like Jesus because they attack Jesus with words. And can I respond in grace and mercy? And it is hard to do. But Lord, I trust you and I will wait just as David did, just as Paul did, just as Peter taught, and just as Jesus lived it. Learn to let it go. Can you jump back to Psalm 54? Not only learn to let it go, I should say, look at uh, verse 8 and 9 real quick of Psalm 52. Trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Praise you forever. Not just learn to let it go, but to trust in God's mercy more and more and to praise God through it as well. Which takes us then to Psalm 54. Because these tie in so well together dealing with difficult people. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? The Ziphites. Now, I'm not going to make you turn there. Time's getting a little short. But we've already introduced ourselves to Doeg. We've introduced ourselves to Alexander. Who's our third character in this story? We have the Ziphites. What did the Ziphites do? Well, the Ziphites like to tell on David. That's what the Ziphites did. I'm not going to read all the verses to you. It says in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 23, David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. So David is hiding in the wilderness of Ziph. But then verse 19, same chapter. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakalah? which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. The Ziphites told Saul where David was hiding. Not only once, but twice. They do it again in 1 Samuel 26. Ziphites. The Ziphites that go behind your back. The Ziphites that thought you could, you could trust them. Let's read this and I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about the Ziphites. Verse 1. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of trouble. Uh, all, excuse me, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. We have Doeg, we have Alexander, and the Ziphites. Now, what makes the Ziphites so unique? Well, take a look at three. For strangers have risen up against me. He calls them, verse 5, his enemies. Verse 7, his enemies. It's interesting he calls them strangers. If you look at where Ziph was and the Ziphites, they were a town in the land of the allotment of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. These are his countrymen. These aren't some foreign people trying to get David in trouble. These are his own countrymen. Judah's land allotment. And if you think back as an Old Testament Jew, your land allotment meant everything. It wasn't that you didn't live necessarily in other land allotments, but if you were from the tribe of Judah, you stayed with Judah. If you were Zebulon, you stayed with Zebulon. If you were Ishakar, you stayed with Ishakar. That's just what you did. So David is in his own land hiding in the wilderness, and his own countrymen, the Ziphites, are turning him in. And what does he call them in verse 3? Strangers. Strangers. See, sometimes you've got Doags that just attack you. You've got Alexanders that cause you harm. But sometimes it's the people. 
that you never thought. The Ziphites wouldn't turn David in, but they did. Now, this is easy to become very cold and callous then and not trust anybody. And that's not the point of this. The point is, keep your eyes on Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Realizing there will be Doags, Alexanders, and Ziphites, and you will be stunned. And what are we going to do when we're stunned? We're going to focus on the Lord. Take a look at verse 1. I will look at his name. Your name represents God's character. Vindicate me by your strength, your power. So I look at God's character, his name, and I look at his strength. See, the problem is the Ziphites did not set God before them. Look at verse 3. They have not set God before them. David set God's name and strength in front of him. I keep going back to this verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You've got to keep your eyes on him got to keep your eyes on him. Peter walking on the water kept his eyes on Christ. As soon as he took his eyes off Christ, he sank. Do not allow the Alexanders, the Ziphites, or the Doegs to come into your life and cause your faith to be shipwrecked and sink. It's not worth it. We have to stop and say, I've set God before me. But, but these are my countrymen. Why are they strangers? I sometimes have these pendulum swings when I read through the Bible. Sometimes I read verses, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Wow, Lord. We're all in. Everybody's a Christian. Had a couple opportunities this week to go share with somebody and ask them, are you a Christian? And, oh, yeah, of course they said they were a Christian. And the more I talked to them, I realized, I don't think you have the basics of the faith down in any way whatsoever. We just know what it means to be a Christian. But we're strangers. Because then when you start reading other passages in the Bible, you realize the path is narrow. And few will find it. Can you go with me to Matthew 7, please? See, the tie-in to Matthew 7 is, these people were David's people. But yet, they're turning him in. David said, they're strangers to me, they're enemies to me. Look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 7, starting 21 with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare them to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Look at the end of 23. I never knew you. I just have to ask. Do you know Christ? Now, not do you know of him. Not do you know about him. Do you know him as Savior, as Lord? Do you know him as the man that came down from heaven, that was God, became man, died on the cross for your sins because you can't earn enough good to get to heaven. And he brought you out of spiritual death, hence the term born again. He brought you out of spiritual death, made you a new creation in Christ, born again, and he is now your Savior, saved you from your sins, and he is Lord of your life. Not once again that you know of him or about him, do you know him? Paul in Philippians 3 says, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I just want to know him. We live in an area today where many people know Christ. They know of Him, they know about Him, but they don't know Him. Sunday in America, millions of people will go to church. How many of them know Jesus? 
Not know of them, not know about them. Many of you have been raised in a church your whole life. You sure know about them. You sure know of them. But do you know Him? Because there's going to come a time and a place where we may stand before Him and Jesus says, I don't know you. How can you not know me? Lord, look, look at everything I did. Did I not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Look at everything I did. Jesus said, that's not knowing me. And I think we have to understand the basics of Christianity of once again, for the third time, it's not knowing of him, it's not knowing about him, it's knowing him. Be careful that you can come to church your entire life and still be a stranger to Jesus Christ. Be careful that you can have lived your whole life in the, in the shadow of Christianity and you're still a stranger to Jesus Christ because he doesn't know you. We have to stop at these moments and stop and ask ourselves, is it that I know of him? Is it that I know about him? Or do I know him? Him. Because the Ziphites were strangers. They were enemies. We have to be careful that we understand what it means to truly know who Christ is. I think of Job in Job 42. And, and I'll say this real quickly. If you remember the book of Job, you know, there's, there's basically 35 chapters in the middle of Job where everybody's just contemplating and whining and thinking they know everything. And God shows up in Job 38 and sets the record straight. Job, at the end of Job then, after talking about everything about God, Job acted like he knew everything. He says this now about God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Basically, Job says, I talked a lot about you, but now I know you. I just want to ask you this morning, do we know him? Do we really know him? Have we set God before our eyes? Is he, verse 4, back to Psalm 54 as we finish up, is he our helper? Does he uphold your life? Do you trust him or do you repay your enemies? Do you trust him to do that? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Can you let the Doags, the Ziphites, and the Alexander, can you just say, Lord, they're in your hands, and those stings hurt, but I'm blessed by those stings, and I will trust you, Lord. And as I'm being stung, verse 6, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name. Lord, I will still sacrifice to you even in the midst of the stings. I will still praise your name even in the midst of the stings. Because verse 7, you have delivered me in the past, you have delivered me now, and you'll deliver me in the future. And I will trust that my eye will see you take care of my enemies. But Lord, right now I'm just keeping my heart, mind, and soul focused on you. It is so easy to allow the Doags, the Ziphites, and the Alexanders of this world to come in and steal your joy, shipwreck your faith, and to tear you down. Do not let that one person have that much power over you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You guys stand with me, please, to close. Lord, prepare us this week for the Doags, the Ziphites, the Alexanders. Prepare us to trust you. Prepare us to just say, Lord, I'm in your hands. Prepare us to not go down to that level of returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But Lord, let us have a good conscience, a good conduct. And it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And give us the wisdom to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it at all. As you call us into this, Lord, let us represent you in your name. Amen. If you guys could take a seat real quick for in way of announcements. Um, New Our Daily Breads, large prints are back there for the month of October. Feel free to grab those.
Also, Operation Christmas Child is going on. Boxes are back there. You've heard me mention this before. Grab the box, fill it up. Church takes care of the shipping. Gets sent out all over the world. You bless a child with Christmas, but most importantly, the gospel. And if you're involved in the public school system, grab some boxes as well. Your classroom can do it. The church will take care of the shipping of that as well. I believe next Sunday, we're going to have a little video about it. Just give you a little bit more background. Some of you have asked about are there any restrictions with the virus and stuff going on. All that information is back there on the table. What to pack, what not to pack, you can go ahead and do that. And Karen is here today. I saw her. You can also ask her. And if you don't know who Karen is, see me, and I'll point you in the right direction for that. Hey, you guys have a good week. God bless. We'll see you Wednesday, and we'll see you Sunday. And you guys take care.